You have. 
Amen. Hey, can we just give our God a big, big hand clap of praise one more time this morning? Amen. How many people would lift a hand, lift a voice and say that my God has been good to me all the days of my life? You know, coming into this morning, even last night, just praying about this day, I felt so strongly in my heart as I was thinking about this morning, you know, when we come into God's house and we worship him and we praise him, it's simply a response on our part when we thank him for his goodness and all that he has already done for us. You know, so often what we do, especially when we come into God's house, is we try to please God by showing him how good we are. But sometimes we need to stop and remember it's all about the goodness of God. There's nothing that I could do to earn God's favor. There's nothing that I could ever do to earn God's love and his acceptance. Instead, he's been so good to me that he put grace out there and sent Jesus to this earth in my place. And I just want to say very quickly, maybe you came here this morning and you feel like you've been trying to earn the favor of God. You've been trying to earn the love and the acceptance of God. The good news this morning, there's nothing that you could do to earn it. He loves you so much that he sent Jesus to be in relationship with you. Our time of worship this morning is simply a response where we say, God, I thank you, not because I'm so great, but you are so great and greatly to be praised. I will praise you with everything that I have. Hey, can I tell you this morning, God's not mad at you. God's not angry with you. God loves you. He's for you. He's with you. And he wants to be in relationship with you. How many people are grateful for that this morning, that our God is so good? Let's just take a moment, let's just reach out and let's just respond in love and thank God for his goodness this morning one more time. Father, we are so incredibly grateful for your goodness. We thank you, Father, that you have done so much for us and we recognize this morning that there's nothing we could do to earn your favor and your acceptance. This morning, just recognizing the way that you've been good to us all the days of our life, the way that you have accepted us into your family, it demands our response of praise and worship. God, you are great. So this morning, greatly we praise you. Greatly we thank you. With everything that we have inside of us, we thank you for all that you have done for us and who you are in us and all the great plans that you have for our lives. Father, I pray that during the time that we are gathered this morning, that you would be praised, that you would be honored, that you would be glorified. I pray that you would speak to every single person who's here today, that they would hear the exact thing that they need to hear today to take them into the tomorrow that you have for them. I pray that we would be challenged today, that we would be encouraged today, Father, and that we would grow one step closer to you while we are together in this place. We thank you for all that you have done, and we expect all of the amazing things that you are going to do in our lives and in your church this morning. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Come on, let's praise our God one more time this morning. Awesome. It is good to be in the house of God. Anybody happy to be in church today? Man, there's a joy in the house today, and it's so good to be here, to be a part of it, and to be in the room with you. We're going to give you a, a, a moment here to get seated here in just a second, but I just want to let everybody know, hey, maybe you're here today and you came with your family or you're here for the very first time. First of all, welcome to the bridge if this is your first time here. We are so glad that you are here today, but whether it's your first time or you came here with your family and you're trying to figure out where to get settled in at, we want you to know that you and your family are welcome here in the auditorium this morning. If you'd like to join us in the family room, maybe that's a bit more comfortable for you and your kiddos, you can join us in the family room as well. It's straight through those double doors to your left in our chapel. We would love to 
to host your family there. But we want you to be uh, comfortable this morning. We're so grateful that you're here today. So just turn around, say hey to somebody, let them know that you're happy to see their face. Give them a wave. If you want to give them a high five, you can do that as well. We're so glad that you're here in church. You can go ahead and grab your seat this morning, and we'll check out church news together. so much for joining us in church today. We're excited to get to spend the day with you and your family. We're believing that this year is going to be full of bigger and better things that God has for our lives and for our church. So make your plans to be with us in the weeks ahead. Here's a look at what's coming up at the bridge. Our spring term of Connect Groups will be launching the week of February 14th. Connect groups are a fantastic way to grow in your faith and build relationships with others. The Bridge will have a variety of different groups based upon age and stage of life, study topics, and special interests. Some groups will meet in person, while other groups will meet online. To kick off this new term, we will have a Connect Group Expo next Sunday, February 14th, where you can meet our Connect Group leaders after each of our morning services. It's always easier to join a group when you've met the leaders first, and we want to give you that opportunity. So make plans to be here next Sunday morning and find a connect group this year at the bridge. Hey, bridge men, we are excited to gather with you again this month on Saturday, February the 20th at 8.30 a.m. right here at the church. Guys, don't miss this morning to grow and build stronger friendships with other guys here at the bridge. We're going to be discussing some topics that are relevant to the specific season that we are living in right now. And I know that you will have a great time and be encouraged. So mark your calendars and plan to join us on Saturday, February 20th, 8.30 a.m. We will see you there. If you are 6th to 12th grade, we want to invite you to Bridge Youth. Bridge Youth meets every Wednesday in person and online on our YouTube channel. Hangs start at 6 p.m. and service at 7 p.m. For details about services, activities, series, and more, make sure to follow us on Instagram and TikTok at BridgeYTH underscore. We hope to see you at Bridge Youth very soon. I am so excited about a new term of Bridge Women Connect Groups. God did such amazing things in our Bridge Women Groups last term. I mean, the depth of connections and friendships was amazing, and there were so many answered prayers. And I believe we are going to see God do even greater things this term. Our series is titled Refocus. You know, we have become so focused on so many different things over the past year. But it is time to refocus on Jesus and what he focused on. And if you haven't been connected in a Bridge Women group before, now is the time. Groups will be meeting all different days of the week and times of day. So whatever your schedule is, we've got you covered. Check out the Bridge Women page on our website or app for a list of all the groups starting soon. 
If you're new to the church, we want to help you find your place and get connected. Just go to our website or the Bridge app and click on the Connect tab. There you'll find a Connect card with details to help you get connected. If you don't yet have the Bridge app, just text the keywords, the Bridge Church app, to 77977. This is the best way to stay updated with everything happening in church life. Thanks again for being in church with us today. We love spending Sunday with you and your family. How's everybody today? Hey, it's good to see you. Glad you're here today. Those of you joining us online, thanks for being with us today. I'm excited about God's Word today, and I'm excited because it's Super Bowl Sunday. I mean, I don't care who wins. There's one team I'd like to see lose, but I don't care who wins. It's, it's no, no big deal. No big deal. And it's, uh, I was just, well, I don't even say that. How many of you know sometimes it's just better off to leave it unsaid, Okay. I don't want to offend the Raiders fans like Pastor Corey. Uh, anyway, I'm ready to get into God's Word today. We're talking about the big picture, the big picture. Seeing what God sees, because if we can see what God sees, if we can get His perspective on things in life, it really makes it easier to live in God's kingdom and see His hand of blessing involved in our lives. And seeing the big picture really simplifies life it, it puts things in proper perspective it keeps little things little and it makes big things big you know life gets upside down when little things become big and big things become little when we major in minors and minor in majors life gets upside down if we can keep the big picture and see life as God sees it it eliminates all the wrong perspectives Today, I want to talk about something really interesting. I want to talk about people. How many of you know people are really interesting? Somebody said, well, I've got a better word for it than interesting. That's, that's why I want to talk about it today, because there are a lot of words that we have for people. So, so today, when we say people, what does God see? When we see people, what does God see? Because if I can see what God sees, it's going to make life easier for me. It's going to make things more simple. Now, we could spend weeks talking about this, so I'm going to really narrow it down to a couple of things today. You know, Jesus' teaching really simplified life. The Bible simplifies life. A lot of people think, well, there's so much there. There's this big, thick book with, you know, thousands of pages, and there's just so much there. It's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot there, but there are simple principles that you find all throughout God's Word. And if you follow the teachings of D Jesus, there are two constant initiatives, two constant challenges that he talked about. And I'm going to break it down for you today. The first is relationship with God. We need 
to be in relationship with God. We say this a lot here at the bridge. This is not about religion. It's not about having rules and regulations and having this mindset about God. It's about living in relationship with God, believing in him, trusting him, talking to him, reading his word and letting him get involved in our lives. It's really about relationship with God. Jesus taught about that. And in Philippians 2, Paul wrote these words. And man, I love these words. I, I learned them when I was really young. And Paul said in Philippians 2, he said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your relationship with God. You know, no two relationships are just alike because no two people are just alike. So you take one person out of a relationship, put somebody else in there, the relationship's going to be a little different. It's the same thing with walking with God. We grow relationships. They become stronger over time as we spend time together. But in this relationship with God, Paul said, work out this relationship of salvation. This relationship of faith where God is changing you and day by day, God is saving you and he's, pre he's preparing you for eternity. Work at this relationship. And then he said, you need to approach it with fear and trembling. In other words, you need to be honest and sincere before God. You can play games with God. You can be religious about it or you can be in a growing relationship with God. But then the second thing that Jesus talked about besides our relationship with God is our relationships with other people our relationships with people and scripture doesn't say it exactly this way but for the sake of what I'm sharing today let me say this to you we need to work out our relationships with people just as we work out our relationships with God now it starts at home I know that starts with the family atmosphere where we're more comfortable to say things and to do things. But even marriage, how many of you realize you have to work out your marriage relationship? How many are working at it? How many are headed for divorce court? It's one of two things. Either you're working at it or you're in trouble. One of two things. We gotta, you got to work at marriage. There's some work involved in it. And you know, if, if it weren't and this is just my perspective. I think most of you would agree. If it weren't for people, life would be a whole lot easier. <laughs> but it would also be a whole lot more lonely. God put people around us for a lot of reasons, and we need to understand some of that. Many years ago, when I was a young minister, just traveling, preaching, uh, I, I, I was introduced to an older minister who was old enough to be my dad, and he was a great preacher. He also had been a traveling minister for years. Great preacher. And he, he started a church, and he asked me to come preach for him. And he had, oh, I don't know, 75 people probably just in the early stages of his church. So I went and preached in his church. And after church on Sunday, we were talking about his church and this group of people. And this guy who'd always been a traveling minister said to me, Man, I love the ministry, but I hate people. I thought, wow, how, how's that going to work out? Well, let me tell you how it worked out. Six months later, he had to close the doors to his church because nobody was left. Because we have to learn how to not just love God, we have to learn how to love people and build relationships with people. Jesus simplified all of this 
When one day they asked him, what's the greatest commandment of all? What did he say? The greatest and first commandment is you have to love God with everything you've got. Put God first in your life and be in relationship with him. They liked that answer, but then Jesus kept going. He said, the second commandment is that you learn to love people the way you love yourself. Learn to love people as you love yourself. Now, I want to talk about this for a few minutes. And this is still the introduction. I haven't got in my message yet, okay? This is the introduction. I want to show you something, and you don't need to turn there. You can go back and read it for yourself in the first three chapters of Genesis. But at creation, when God created mankind, Scripture says God blessed mankind. He looked down upon what he'd created, and it says God blessed it. God blessed them. Here's what's interesting about those words. The word blessed there is the very same word that we use in Scripture in our own lives when we say, I bless the Lord. When the psalmist said, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. It's the very same word that's used in Genesis when God blessed man. Now, don't misunderstand. Somebody's going to run a tangent. Listen to what I'm saying. It doesn't say that God worshiped man. But in the same way that word blessed really means to kneel down before. In the same way that we kneel our hearts before God, God looked out upon creation. And when he looked upon mankind, men and women, when he looked upon Adam and Eve, he saw something of himself in them. Because they were created in his likeness. And his image. And in the same way that you would pick up that little baby of yours and hold it in your arms and hold it close and just love it and bless it. In the same way, that's what God did with mankind. That's what God does with every one of us. When we turn our hearts to him, he holds us close and he begins to speak blessing into our lives. Why? Because he values us. He sees something valuable and precious in us. He sees something of himself in us. And of everything that God created, the one thing that God valued the most was mankind. That's why from the very moment that God spoke that kind of blessing over man, that's why Satan began an all-out campaign to devalue what God valued most. God loves you. Now, let me, let me stay here a minute. God loves you. Can I get you to, maybe when you think about God loves me or God loves you, can I get you to just twist that for a little bit and add to it? God values me. God values you. I thought this morning what I might do is set 10 chairs up here and have 10 different people sit here. But I decided not to do it for obvious reasons it gets distracting with people dozing off you know while I'm preaching so I thought well I won't do that <laughs> but you know I thought about getting 10 different people up here and, and and talking about the differences in these people how each one is different but yet if I sit down among them I say God loves me but God loves each one of them as much as he loves me God values me but God values each one of them as much as he values me. I look around this room today, I'm going to tell you something. God values me, God loves me, but God values you and he loves you just as much as he loves me. 
You are just as valuable to God. Now, take one step further. We get into the New Testament. We begin to talk about this a little bit. God at the cross defined and demonstrated his love for us. John 3, 16, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, what happened at the cross, God defined our value. God says, this is how valuable you are to me. I'll put my own son on a cross and put everything that's wrong with you on him that everything that's perfect about him can be poured into your life. That's how much God loves us and he values us. One more little nugget here before I move on. The word agape. Everybody knows agape love, agape love, the God kind of love, the New Testament love, the Greek word agape. That's God's kind of love. You see, we get so confused about God's love because we try to compare God's love to other kinds of love. Instead of understanding God defined love, God demonstrated love for us. Let me, let me, let me show you what I mean. Husbands, we still have a week till Valentine's Day, but you ought to start thinking about it now, okay? Don't start thinking about it next Sunday. Start thinking about it this Sunday. But how, how many husbands will lift your hand and say, I love my wife? You, you better get it up. You better get it up. Okay? <laughs> I love my wife. But how many husbands will raise your hand and say, I love chocolate? I love ice cream. I love a good steak. So you can say love, and there's all kinds of different levels to love. But in that word agape, what it literally means is, there's a love, a passion that springs from the heart of God towards something because he sees value in it. That agape love has to see something of value before it leaves the heart of the person who loves. God loved us so much he put his own son on a cross because that's how valuable we are to him. God loves us. God values us. He loves people. He values people. And he expects me to do the same. That's why Jesus said, first commandment is love God with everything you've got. Then love your neighbor the way you love yourself. But you know, from the very beginning of time, going back to Genesis, from the very beginning, people have struggled with people. Did you know that? People have struggled with people. Look at the first family. After Adam and Eve sinned, God said, what have you done? Adam said, well, it's her fault. She gave it to me. Adam blamed Eve for his sin. It's funny that nothing else is written in Scripture about that. I promise you, when he got home that night, Eve talked to him about it. I promise you. But then they have children, and what happens? Cain and Abel bring these sacrifices. God rejects Cain's sacrifice. It wasn't what God asked for. Cain gets angry. What does he do? He kills his brother. Since the very beginning, people have struggled with people. And I think one of the things that God wants us to understand and accept, we are not robots. We have a human will and it's strong. We make choices the way we want to make choices. No two of us are exactly alike. We have different tastes, ideas, and opinions. And sometimes we collide. Thought I'd get a good amen there. Sometimes we bump into each other. And then there's conflict. So let me, 
Let me get into my message now that I've given you this wonderful introduction. Hebrews chapter 12. If you've got a Bible, turn there. If not, we'll have the verses on the screen. Hebrews 12. Number one, so in the big picture, in the big picture, as God sees it, how do I deal with people? Hebrews 12, verse number 14. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Now, now pause here just a moment. Pursue peace with all people and holiness. It's right living. Holiness is right living, correct living. Pursue peace, live correctly as you deal with people. If you don't have holiness, you're never going to understand even the concept of who God is and what he is. Then verse 15, he continues the statement, looking carefully, which means overseeing your life, looking over everything, looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. He said, God doesn't want you to accept his grace and then not walk out his grace. Can I, can I tell you where the real testing grounds is for, for Christianity? Real testing grounds for faith in God is dealing with people. That's where the testing grounds is. It's pretty easy to deal with God. He's made it pretty clear, simple. This is what God asks. People, it's a whole different story because we're all different. So he says, don't fall short of the grace of God. God has put grace in your life. Extend that grace to other people. Then he goes on and says this. Lest any root of bitterness springing up would cause trouble. And because of that bitterness, many people become defiled. Many people get hurt. Many people get infected with the anger, the nastiness, and the bitterness that you spread to people. Now, what comes out of this is, well, okay, how do I deal with people? Scripture says that I have a responsibility. Everybody say responsibility. I have a responsibility to pursue peace with people. Say with me, I have a responsibility to pursue peace with people. That's the responsibility of a believer, to pursue peace. Romans 12, 18 says, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men, with all people. It's my responsibility to be at peace with people. Have you ever met a, a, a Christian who said, well, this is just the way I am. If you don't like me the way I am, that's your problem. You ever met, you ever met that Christian? None of them go to church here anymore. But, you know, we used to have some people like that. It's just how God made me. If you don't like the way God made me, you have a problem. No. If that's your attitude towards people, you have the problem. I am to pursue peace. I have a responsibility to pursue peace with people. My iPad didn't even like it. It shut down on me. And then, and then in this Hebrews 12, it talks about bitterness. See, if I don't pursue peace with people, there's going to be a lot of these conflicts. We bump into people. And if I don't learn how to deal with that stuff and live and extend peace to people, I'm constantly going to be in conflict and my life's going to become bitter. 
because I carry this conflict and I carry that conflict and this one expects the next one to be bad and this one expects the next one to be worse and it goes on and on and what happens is this bitterness begins to grow through my life and the problem with bitterness is bitterness is a contagious disease. Springs up all over the place. Some of us are living in the age of masks. Okay? Not, Not... creating light i'm just saying we're in the age right now where we're being told you need to wear masks you need to wear masks if you've got bitterness in your heart you need to be wearing a mask because it's contagious it's a lot more contagious than covid it kills people from the inside out and i know i just well you shouldn't gone into politics see that's not even politics but what if conflict comes I'm supposed to live at peace with people. But number two, what if conflict does come? What if I do run into somebody or somebody runs into me and all this stuff begins to happen? What do you do with conflict? Jesus said, offenses are going to come. People are going to run into you and you're going to run into people. And you need to learn how to pursue peace with people. So let me, let me give you some thoughts. I'm going to read something from Matthew 18. If you want to turn there, we'll have the verses on the screen. Matthew 18, here's what Jesus said. How many of you think Jesus probably knew what he was talking about? Okay, okay, make sure you're with me here. Matthew 18, verse 15. Jesus says, moreover, or also, if your brother sins against you, get angry, put it on Facebook, put it on Instagram, let the world know what an idiot he is. You know why I'm not on Facebook? You know why I'm not on Facebook? Because my relatives embarrass me. That's the first. The second reason is because some, some church people embarrass me. Some preachers embarrass me. I, I got off because I'm a smart aleck. God created me that way. But to pursue peace with men, it's better off for me to not be on Facebook because I will be a smart aleck on Facebook. So I just backed away from it. That's the best way for me to pursue peace with people that I think are dumb, like my relatives. <laughs> and you think, well, you're just saying that. No, no, no. I, I've talked with some of my cousins about it. And my, my cousins, several of them are on board with me. Okay? <laughs> no, let's go back to, ver- to verse 15. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If somebody wrongs you, It becomes your responsibility to go to that person. Now, now here's what I want you to see. How do I navigate these conflicts? First thing, we need to act with reconciliation in mind, not revenge. We want to reconcile the relationship, not get even and hammer the person. So Jesus said, if somebody wrongs you, go to them and talk to them. Go to them one-on-one. Try to settle this thing. Verse 16, but if he will not hear, how many of you know, especially family, sometimes they will not hear, okay? If he will not hear, take with you one or two more that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. You don't take people to get your way and to tell the other person, you're an idiot and you're wrong and I'm right. You take witnesses so they can hear the conversation and sort it out and help the two of you solve the conflict. It's to reconcile a relationship. 
In verse 17, and if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him to be, be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. So if he doesn't want to hear godly counsel, just treat him like he works for the IRS. That's good, eh? See, God gives us a responsibility also to try to reconcile our differences and save relationships. So, when there's a conflict and I'm wrong, I need to take the first step. It becomes my responsibility to go and try to sort it out. Now, let me give you a couple of tips that will maybe help. First of all, when you go to have the conversation, I need to be willing to listen. Turn off my emotions, wait my chance to speak, and listen. Zach shared this here a while back. I've heard it from different people, but it's a good thought. Did you ever realize that God gave you two ears and only one mouth? Think about that. Maybe I need to hear. Maybe I need to listen twice as much as I speak. The second thing is, when it comes your time to talk, think before I speak. When it's my turn, think about what I'm saying and how I say it. Weigh my words because the goal is to reconcile, not win the battle. Fix the relationship. And, and then the other part of this is, one of the best things you can do in the middle of conflict is to, to say, I'm sorry. Because there's always two sides of that conflict. Even to the person who might be in the wrong, they heard something, they thought something, there's something there that simple, I'm sorry, I didn't mean for you to feel that way. I didn't, I didn't know I said it that way. I'm sorry, that's not what I was trying to say. I didn't mean that, that's not what I was trying to do. Even if you think you're in the right and the other person's wrong, when you say, I'm sorry, it's amazing how much of the passion goes out of the other person's balloon. Years ago, I was pastoring another church, and there were two young men in the church doing business together. They were working together in construction, and they got into a big hassle. I mean, it got really bad. There was money involved, and one of them had taken advantage of the other and cheated some money out of the business and it, it was a bad situation they began to talk and of course their wives were talking defending their husbands and it began to spread so I went to these guys I said look I know you guys got a problem how about this how about we get you together with a Christian attorney let him hear the case let him hear both sides sort it out and then he'll tell you what we what we think is right and wrong that's what scripture tells us to do they said, great. We set up the meeting time on a Sunday afternoon. The one guy that we knew was taking money or felt pretty strongly he was, he didn't show up for the meeting. Never came back to church again. Which kind of said, yeah, I get it. But you see, this is what Jesus said we need to do. Face the conflict, but do it in love. Do it with respect. Value the other person. You know, one of the things I've learned about saying I'm sorry, if I can say I'm sorry and just move three inches towards that person, usually they'll move three feet towards me. Everybody turn to somebody and say, I'm sorry. See, some of you won't even do that. I'm sorry. 
And then the, the last little part of this is not only do I act for reconciliation, I don't want to seek revenge. I don't want to get even with them. I want to get the thing settled. I want to put it behind us. Romans 12 says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. There's a time and a place to be angry, but don't take revenge and vengeance into your own hands. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. See, if we approach people from the standpoint of, you're just as valuable to God as I am, and I need to talk to you that way, it changes the whole conversation. We have to learn to control our anger. James said this, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath or anger, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Rarely does my anger handle a situation the way God would. And just one, one other little note here. There are times you can win a battle but down the road, you wind up losing a war with somebody. You don't go in to win. You go in to reconcile the relationship. And everybody said, okay. Next part of this, we need to be willing to forgive. To forgive. To let it go. One day Peter said, okay, Jesus, there's this guy that just keeps wronging me and offending me. How many times do I have to forgive him in one day? Seven times? And Jesus said, no, not seven times, 70 times seven. And he wasn't talking about 490, okay? He's talking about the idea of we can never stop forgiving. And what Jesus went on to say was, if this guy wrongs you and he comes back and says, I'm sorry, you need to accept that. You need to accept that apology. Let it go and move on. Why? Because that's how God deals with us. Then Jesus then told a story there in Matthew 18. And, I, and I'm going to tell you the story and read the last two verses of the story. Jesus said there was this guy who decided he was going to settle accounts. He was a wealthy man, well off. He decided I'm going to settle accounts with everybody that owes me money. So he calls this guy in and, he's in, and I'm going to paraphrase it a little bit, the dollars and cents side. He calls this guy in and says, man, you owe me $100,000. I need you to pay me like right now or otherwise you've got to go to jail. And the guy looks at him and begins to weep and cry and says, man, please have mercy on me. I don't have 100 grand, but if you'll give me some time, I'll start paying you. I'll find a way to pay it all back to you. And, and, and this ruler looked at him and said, you know what? I'm going to do that. I'm, I'm a generous man. I'm well off. I'm going to trust you to pay me back and let him go. And then lets this guy go. And the guy goes down the road and he runs across one of his buddies that owed him $20. And he gets angry and says, where's my $20? I'm in trouble with the ruler. Give me $20. And the guy says, dude, I ain't got the $20, but if you'll be patient, I'll pay you when I can. He got angry, and he called the police and said, take this guy and throw him in the prison until he pays my $20 back. When the ruler heard about it, he called the guy in and said, I can't believe I forgave you $100,000, but you wouldn't forgive $20,000 or $20. He turned to the to the police and said, take this guy and throw him in jail until he pays all of it back. But here's what it literally says in verse number 34 of Matthew 18. 
And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. Then verse 35, Jesus said, so my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. We're to approach people for reconciliation. Then we are to forgive. Turn loose of it. Put it out of sight. Put it out of mind. Let it go and move on. Now, let me show you how and why this works, okay? This, this might be the best part of this message right here. Let me show you why this works. I cannot separate my life with God from the cross. The cross is always a part of my life because I draw my life from the cross. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, even after you accept Jesus, you make some mistakes. I know some of you hadn't made a mistake in years, but eventually you will, okay? We make mistakes in life. Sometimes we fall short of it. And when we do, we go back to the cross and we thank God for his, for his forgiveness. But God, God in our relationship with him, we, we cannot separate the cross from our relationship with him because it's the cross that brings us into relationship. If we separate the cross from it, then we can't forget our sins and God can't remove them and take his mind off of it. But because of the cross, he chooses to do so. But here's the other part of this. Nor can I separate my relationships with people from the cross. Because God demands that I be willing to forgive others just as Christ has forgiven me. Because God forgave me this major debt that I could never repay in a thousand lifetimes. And he says, how dare you hold a $20 debt over somebody else's head? This is good preaching. How dare you do that? How dare you? Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Well, how do I forgive that guy? It wasn't $20, it was $100. Well, how much has God forgiven you? We love God first. We accept his forgiveness. And then we have to learn to release forgiveness to others as God has forgiven us. That's a part of being a Christian, to forgive people. Did you know that? Some of you may have never heard that before. It's a brand new thing. I just came up with it the other day. God demands we learn to forgive. Because what happens is unforgiveness closes up the heavens. That's what Jesus said. He said, if you've got stuff in your heart towards people, man, don't even ask God for stuff. Get it right with people, then come talk to God about it. God's not going to hear your prayer. But if reconciliation doesn't happen, what do I do? We talked about stuff's going to happen. You know, what, what do we do? How do we approach this stuff? Well, what if somebody's not willing to reconcile a relationship and make it right? Every now and then I deal with situations with people where somebody refuses to take their part and fix a relationship. I told you about one situation years ago in a church between two young men. It happens, even in church life. It happens. Sometimes people aren't willing to reconcile. What do we do? First thing is we need to pray for them. 
somebody wrongs you, you try to get it worked out, and they refuse, and they're hard, <clears throat> and they're bitter. What do you do? Pray for them. Jesus said, I say to you, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. You know what I've learned through the years? And man, I, I, every time there's a situation, you have to relearn it. When I'm upset and there's a relationship issue, the best thing I can do is talk to God about it. Not talk to people, talk to God. First thing most of us do is we talk to people and it just makes it bigger and worse. Talk to God. Pray about it and pray for them. You know, if you go back and look at the story of Job... In the story of Job, there's, you know, there's 40-some chapters, I think, in Job. The first couple of chapters tell you, tells you what happened, and then the last chapter tells you the end of the story. And there's like 39, 40 chapters, something like, there's a bunch of chapters in there where it's just people, yak, 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 yak. Well, I think this, well, I think that. Did you know, if you read through Job, did you know those guys who are giving their opinions about God, they didn't have Scripture to read in those days? Job might be the oldest manuscript in the Old Testament, oldest manuscript in the Bible. They didn't have the Bible to say, well, here's what God said. Here's what Jesus said. Everybody's saying, well, here's what happened, Joe. Here's what God says. Here's what I think. Da, da, da. Forty chapters of yak, 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 yak. They wore Joe. I mean, he was already in bad shape, and they wore him out. They told him all the reasons why God had forsaken him and all the mistakes. All this religious stuff got thrown out there. But what it says in Job 42, when you get to the end of the story, it says, and the Lord turned Job's captivity. He restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. If you start praying for people who've wronged you, when they won't listen to you and they won't reconcile, if you'll start praying for them and ask God to bless them, God will turn your captivity, regardless of what they do. God will turn the situation inside of you. And when there's conflict, the real problem is not what's going on out there. It's what's going on in here. You see, when I pray for them and I release them, it releases me. It releases me. Next thing you need to do, and I, man, we all learn this lesson again and again. After you pray for them, put it in God's hands and put them in God's hands. Just let him work. Don't micromanage and tell God how to deal with them. Now I hear you praying, now, God, I pray for so-and-so. They spoke harsh words to me. Kill them, God, and we'll all be happy. <laughs> I'll tell you something, God's probably not going to answer that prayer. It's been answered a few times in history, but probably not very many, Okay. One of the great stories, we, we preach about this now and then. One of the great stories in the Bible is the story of Joseph. But in the last chapter of Genesis, when Joseph's dad dies, his brothers all come to him. And all of a sudden, those brothers who hated him, who sold him into captivity and now being blessed by Joseph, they all come to Joseph and they're terrified, saying, ah, dad's gone now, Joseph's going to get even with us. And they come and they bow down, and Joseph, please don't get even with us. You know what Joseph says to them? The offended Joseph, the one who was lied about, sold into captivity, who was gone from the family for years. Joseph says, 
Am I in the place of God? See, sometimes when I get hurt, I decide I'm God and I, know, I need to know or I know exactly how to fix this thing. Joseph looked at those guys. He could have done whatever he wanted to do. He was second in command of the greatest empire on the face of the earth. Joseph said, I'm not in the place of God. This is God's business, not mine. Put, put, people, put people, put things, put situations in God's hands. Pray and then put it in God's hands and let him work. You know, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul wrote to, to Timothy. And in this letter, he says, he calls out this guy named Alexander. He says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. He didn't say, go get even with him. He didn't say, send the church over to ransack his business and burn it down and, and be mean to him, beat him to death. He didn't say, he said, you know what? I put him in God's hands. Just, just be aware. You can't trust the guy Stay away from him because I've put him in God's hands and let God deal with him. You know, there, there are some nasty people in this world. They'll be here second service. They're not here this service. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. There's some nasty people in this world. The worst thing you can do is fight with them. Pray for them and then put them in God's hands and let God do what needs to be done. Proverbs 6.19 tells us that one of the things that God hates is discord and strife. God hates it when people cause discord, disunity among other believers. God hates that. He hates it in a church when it happens. But if people do that, put it in God's hands. Pray for them. Leave it in God's hands. Let him work. Let him work. Take it to the cross. Because when you take it to the cross, you realize God's forgiven me so much, I can forgive them of so little by comparison. And then one final little note. And, and this is a final thing, but it's so small, but it's so big. I need to be careful about sticking my nose in other people's quarrels. Do you ever know somebody that loves to get involved in everybody's fight? When I was a kid, I was always short and skinny. I'm, I'm not as skinny as I once was. Still short as I always was. Actually, I'm shorter than I used to be. I don't know how that happened, but it happened. But I was always little, you know, small in stature. And one day my dad, when I was a teenager, he looked at me and he said, Son, when you grow up, you need to be a lover, not a fighter. You're not built to fight. As believers, we don't need to be fighting over the wrong things. Don't interject yourself into other people's problems. Even if they try to pull you in, don't get in the middle of it. Here's what Solomon said, Proverbs 26. He who passes by and meddles in a quarrel not his own is like one who takes a dog by the ears. Stay out of other people's fights. Encourage them to work it out in a godly manner. In closing this message, people are a problem. And there are some people in life who are going to rub you like sandpaper. But can I flip it around for a minute? There are some people in life, you're going to rub them like sandpaper. It's just the way our personalities work. 
We have to learn how to navigate this in a godly manner. Like I said, we could preach on this for weeks, but I want to pray right now. I want to pray a prayer. I want to pray for all of you because here's what happens in a message like this. When I talk about unforgiveness and bitterness and conflict, if there's something going on in your heart, it shows up like right now. If there's something in my... One of the things about studying for a message is I, I get to deal with a lot of stuff in my own heart during the week. I want to pray for you today because I know, I know it's difficult from a human standpoint to deal with difficult people. I know that. But there's so much blessing and peace that comes our way when we learn how to do that and we're willing to do that. So I want to pray for you right now. If you would just bow your heads for a moment. If you're watching at home, bow your heads with me. I, I, I want to pray for you today. Father, right now, for everyone who hears this, whether in the building or delayed or watching live at home, I pray that the Spirit of God right now would just touch our hearts. God, you've spoken clearly to us the last few minutes. Simple stuff, but so clearly. Help us to respond to this message. Help us to hear your word and be a doer of your word. God, give us hearts to reconcile relationships instead of get revenge and destroy relationships. You've called us to love people the way we love ourselves, to value people and see people as you see them. God, that person who's created conflict and hurt, you love them as much as you love me. You value them as much as you value me. So I put them in your hands and God, I'm gonna pray for them. I'm gonna let you work on their heart until things begin to turn. I am not gonna carry the bitterness and the anger and let it become poison in my own heart, my own life. Father, I pray for families who are going through challenges. I pray for people who've been hurt and had to carry hurt for a long time. God, help us to do our part and then just leave it in your hands and let you work and not live lives of regret. Help us take everything to the cross and let the cross wash everything out of our life that needs to go. Help us to forgive as you've forgiven us. In Jesus' name I ask it. For one more moment, while heads are still bowed, hearts are bowed, Maybe there's just a time and a place right now where you're hearing this and you heard me talk about the cross and you're realizing, man, I got stuff in my own life. I've never let God wash it away. I've never come to the cross and asked forgiveness for my own sins. I don't have peace with God and therefore I, I can't pursue peace with people. Maybe right now the spirit of God is knocking on your heart and you're realizing this is truth and I need God's help. I need Jesus in my life. Friend, God will meet you right where you are. All he asks you to do is open your heart and surrender to him and let him work. He'll teach you his ways and he'll walk you into a brand new life. And it all begins with an invitation, with prayer. God's knocking on the door of your heart. He needs you to say, come in, I need you. You do that with words, with a prayer. I want to lead you in a prayer right now. I'm going to ask everybody in the building, everybody watching at home and listening right now with your heads and hearts bowed, I'm going to ask everybody to wrap your heart around these words and pray this prayer with me. Say, God, I need you. I open my heart to you. Come into my life. Wash away all my sin. I want to know you as a father. I accept Jesus as my savior. What he did on the cross, full payment for my sins. And I trust Jesus to become the Lord of my life. 
I lay everything down so that you can come in. I will follow you. I will learn your ways. From this moment forward, you are my father and I'm your child. Thank you for receiving me. Amen. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer for the first time or if you've been on the run from God, that's the most important prayer you can ever pray. We're good. We want to give you a gift. Pastor Corey's going to come and tell you about it. But can we put our hands together right now and welcome new believers into God's family? God bless you. Amen. Can we thank Pastor Gary for the awesome message this morning? Such a great message. Hey, if you're in the house and, and you just gave your life to Jesus for the first time, congratulations. Maybe you're watching online. You made the same decisions, the best decision you could ever make with your life. One of our favorite things here at the bridge is to walk people through their first week of their faith. It's, it's um, really one of our privileges, our honor. If you, we feel like it's really our obligation to help you through this first week of your faith. And so we've designed something called the next seven days. There's a couple ways you could get it if you're here in the house. First, uh, there'll be some prayer teams on either side of the auditorium right after service. You go up to them. Uh, you could ask for the booklet. You could ask for prayer. They're there to pray for you. If you're in a rush and, and you got to get out quickly, there's a table right before you get outside. It'll have a big sign over. It says the next seven days. You go up, just say, I need the booklet. They'll get it for you right there. If you're watching online, uh, you can right there, whatever browser you're watching from, you can hit that connect link and it'll take you to a place where you can fill everything out. Uh, let us know you made the decision. We'll get you the next seven days. If all else fails, go to any one of our social media platforms, DM us the words, direct message us the words next seven, and we will handle the rest. One more time, church, can we welcome people into God's family? Hey, so this is the time in service where um, we get to worship God with our giving and we worship God with our giving for a couple reasons. One, because God is faithful. Has God been faithful to anybody else? And, and I just feel like it's, it's our natural response to respond being faithful to God as well. But I feel like another reason we, um, we're faithful to God through our giving is because we see the big picture when it comes to people. Um, a couple years ago, I got to go on behalf of the bridge to Kenya, East Africa, and I don't know if you know this, but many of you were a part of helping to build a church there in a small, small town. And I got to preach the very first service in that building. We, we took about three and a half days to build this building. They said the first service is going to be on this Sunday at 1 o'clock. And they're like, ah, let's push it to 1.30. They're like, eh, 2.45, no big deal. Time works different in Africa. And the first service there literally it was bursting at the seams. There were people standing outside watching through windows. Afterwards, there was meals because in Africa, churches always followed up with a meal. And it was just an amazing thing to see. Can I just tell you that you are a part of something so much bigger than yourself. And we see the big picture when it comes to people. And that's one of the reasons we give. Because here at the bridge, your giving affects people's Lives And so what an honor it is to give. Thank you so much for your faithfulness in giving. There's a few ways you can give on the screen right here behind me, whichever one works best for you. If you want to give a physical gift today, before you get to the foyer, there's giving stations on either side of the uh, exit doors. There's also one just to your right in the foyer at the kids' uh, check-in desk right over there. Hey, have you enjoyed being in church today? 
I know I have. What a great message. Hey, would you stand to your feet? Before you go, a reminder, two weeks from today, ladies, two weeks from today, your Connect Group's kickoff. Go follow Bridge Women on their Instagram, at bridge underscore women for all the details. We love you so much. We'll see you very, very soon.